0: Arizona Sports is proud to present
1: the Uprising Podcast. Uprising Podcast. Hello
0: and welcome into the Uprising Podcast. I am your host, Jake Anderson. Today we have two guests for you. The first is rising manager, Rick Schantz, and the second is USL VP communications and marketing, Ryan Madden. But before we dive into that, I want to address a few things. First. My condolences to anyone that may have lost a loved one or has been affected in any way by the novel coronavirus COVID-19. This is an unprecedented time for all of us, and we need to remember the golden rule of treating others the way we would like to be treated. I do not care how cliche that is, and I do not care how old it is when the first time you heard it, you were five years old. It applies then, it applies now, and it'll apply forever. So, let's remember to do that. Let's make it out on top of this thing. Let's beat it. And let's be able to get back to the things that we loved the most. And that's sports and getting back to watching Phoenix Rising matches at Casino Arizona Field. Second thing I want to say is Kellen Olsen, my co-host from last season, is not going to be co-hosting this season. He is our Phoenix Suns beat, so he has a lot on his plate. So that doesn't mean Kellen is completely kicked off the pod. He is more than welcome to come on when he would like. And talk footy because we all know how much we love to talk footy. Especially when it comes to Phoenix Rising. Now the last thing I want to say is more of a comedic relief commentary side. Where I want to know what you guys feel about how often FC and football club is said. For me personally, I think it's said in speech and in conversation too much. I'm not talking about at the stadium where it's, now here's your Phoenix Rising football club. That's not what I mean. I mean when people are saying oh I went to a Rising Football Club match or I went to a Rising FC match maybe I just hear it a lot more I don't know what it is it just bothers me because like the Arizona Cardinals technically are Arizona Cardinals Football Club but no one says that so I don't know let me know what you guys think that's just kind of my two cents I'll stop rambling and I'll bring on Rick Shantz right now What would you say has been maybe the biggest obstacle that when, you know, when we first hear stay at home, you didn't really foresee, but, you know, living through it for a couple of months, what would you say is the biggest obstacle that you weren't expecting?
1: Um, well, I consider myself technically savvy, um, but, but getting all the players comfortable with, you know, whether it was going to be Microsoft Teams or Zoom calls or you name it, Mm -hmm. you know, Zoom kind of seemed to take off and it was really easy to use. Um, So I think through technology and through these conference calls, finding different ways to to engage the guys. So, um, you know, when you do a film, if I share my screen and I want to do a film session and I want to do some breakdown, uh, you better have you know some pretty high quality equipment because they, they start to pause and based on your your upload and your download streams and speeds and, the, and what they're using on the other end was difficult. So we had to find a lot of different ways to be able to get film clips to the guys. We had to find ways to get different articles to the people, the players, and uh, have guest speakers, which was really awesome. You know we had the guys; they had a chance to to talk with Michael Minaelo, who used to be at Chelsea and. Mm-hmm. Um, we did some character work and uh with Kelly Cagle who's one of the directors at our at our youth club. So um I tried to just keep him engaged and that was the difficult part is you're almost like a teacher coming up with lesson plans. And whereas it used to be real easy, you come in, you know what you're training, you know what you're training for, and you know what your normal work week is like and and now it was all of a sudden here you go you've got the, the players are off and you have to figure this out and good luck and there's no manual for it no one's ever done it um you know so we think we did a really good job the players were always engaged we spoke to the guys every day and the more I talked to other clubs I don't think that was happening all around the country so I'm really proud of the staff and in the way they approached this they were very very hardworking and, and diligent with their efforts so um, you know, I, th- I think we're we're hopefully more prepared than most.
0: Yeah, that's something Bobby has spoken to me about when you guys were, you know, this, this last offseason getting new guys. He he told me straight up, you know, when you get guys that are good character guys, everything else will fall in place. So I definitely look the Jordan Swipers of the world when you see what he's done for his mom and Phoenix Children's Hospital and all of that. So let's go focus on the good side of it now. There's a million positives that we are going to be taking out of this whole, you know, experience. Like you said, there's really no playbook anyone's ever been able to look back on and go, oh, this is what we did last time because unprecedented. What's going to be the biggest positive you take? Or when you look back, you're going to be like, that's what I take out from this whole thing.
1: Um, Well, I'll tell you this, that I've looked at this kind of globally and and not just literally or, or figuratively, but really all around the world. And the, these are the times when I always talk about your character being revealed. And I tell our team that all the time that, you know, when we were winning 20 games in a row, it was easy to hide our flaws. It was easy to hide. What were we missing in training? You know, nobody, nobody cared. Everything was perfect. But as soon as you lost and there was a little chink in the armor, every every little flaw was revealed whether it was frustration fatigue you know poor coaching bad training management whatever it is that those flaws will be revealed in, in moments of crisis and i say that because that's what i say to the guys is that your true character is revealed in the most difficult moments and this is one of the most difficult moments not only in my life as a as a person as a father uh, as a as an employee but I think from a world perspective, what what the U.S. is going through and we find out a lot about people's character in these moments, you know, and it's very revealing. And the one thing that I'm very proud of is um, the staff has been has stuck together. Our relationships have been stronger. The players have been willing to open up to the staff and, and communicate on a different level now uh, because we had to talk about something other than the games we weren't playing um so you 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 find out a lot of, a lot about people at these times and that's one of the best things that I'll take away is knowing that I work with some really good people and I work with some really good players and and not just the soccer player that they are but the person that they that they they, they are and the example that they they give and it's really opened my eyes to i guess you would say the golden rule you know and treat people the way that you want to be treated and um, this is a. This has been a good opportunity to kind of take a step back from the rat race that we lived in, and and realize we get st- a little bit of a reset button. And I hope that the world learns from this, and uh, and we realize how precious life is, and and all these moments that we have. So, I know it seems a little bit Zen-like, <laughs> but but it's that's been a positive for me is to kind of take a step back and look and look around and and be appreciative for what I have
0: oh absolutely i'm I'm hundred percent with you i think this this sport this game is i don't know I, I, we're biased obviously, but there's something about it. it brings the world together and it just yeah, like the world's hurting like you said um yeah. but in terms of on the pitch stuff obviously returning, training you know returned yesterday um so hey what what was that like the the different you know rules that are allowed and you know what you are and aren't allowed to do,
1: yeah well it, it, one it's i think it's great that uh, usl took into account that most of these players live together so mls's training rules are a little bit different than ours i think because they they don't live together and they don't all live in one apartment complex so yeah for them you know one player for for a large space by himself doing his own workout that's difficult um for us in groups of four it it's really helpful. You can do a lot and it's really forced us to be creative in our thinking. Um, here it's fantastic because we have a great sports performance director. So he warms the guys up, takes them through, you know, uh, whatever their prescribed fitness exercise, and then they move to a technical and functional aspect. So uh, we haven't really broken it down to position specific yet. Um, it's more or less based on who they live with and who they ride in the car with. Um, but hopefully in a couple of weeks when they open up a little bit more and maybe some bigger numbers, then we can start doing some, you know, a little bit more functional work, you know, finishing, crossing, things like that. But right now they're getting a lot of technical work. They're getting a lot of touches on the ball. We've realized that seven weeks off um, can really be detrimental to the soccer part of it not just the fitness, but the passing and the, you know, you're doing things at speed and uh, quick thought uh, that that's where they're going to struggle. So, you know, we, we feel that we've probably got six or eight weeks to be prepared, hopefully. And uh, right now it's, it's engaging them, um, you know, physically and, and technically and trying to get them ready for games.
0: I heard you touch a little bit on this, this, you don't, want to make it like a second preseason to where it's just rigorously get in shape for what would that be now you know four months uh, if you went from start to finish so obviously it's hard to answer the question because it's there's just so much unknown but so basically would you say right now this training is more of a i don't even know how to describe it just um, You know, you're you're trying to get your guys back into shape, so to speak. They've been trying to keep themselves in shape. Um, You only got one game into the season. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, uh, basically, what is it that? Because I was reading the rules through it, it says that you know, coaches can't technically. What is it? Give instruction from a uh, a tactical sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I can imagine how frustrating that can be. Um, So yeah, I guess what from at least for the time being what is your ultimate goal from these trainings i guess is what i'm trying to ask
1: so the first week and maybe even the second week the reality is to make them feel safe uh it's it's psychological this is all psychological what we're accomplishing this week
0: may or may it's not have
1: a, yeah it's not gonna have a lot of bearing on uh, on how they perform in this in mm-hmm. whatever season we get yeah uh, what, what we're trying to do this week is get them used to waking up at eight o'clock in the morning, having a breakfast, come to the facility, have a training, have lunch, take care of their bodies, get back to the routine that they probably weren't doing. Um, you know, we even, in the seven weeks or where they were at home, we were trying to get them on a morning schedule and get them up every day for a Zoom call by 10. And, but that's different. You know, you, you wake up 20, 15 minutes before and you jump on the computer for 15 minutes and you go back to sleep. And I, there's nothing we could do really to stop that, you know? Um, so it's really about creating normalcy. It's about creating uh, that feeling of the, the coaches and the staff care about us. The, the club cares about us. They, they care about our safety. Uh, they're taking the proper steps to make sure that we're safe. And then I think, slowly as people get more comfortable about in their environment, then you'll start to create, come back to what you said, you know, some sort of normal activity. And, um, you know, when we get there, we'll look back on these two weeks and say, okay, good. We did some anaerobic and some aerobic capacity work. Um, but we didn't really accomplish a whole, a whole lot that they didn't already have. Um, you know, so we'll start to push them a little harder. These trainings will get more difficult for them but it's really only if they can handle it psychologically, you know, and that they're okay emotionally because you got to remember their people. And that's mm-hmm. the most important part is they're not robots and they're not just going to, they'll, they'll do what I say. But, uh, at the end of the day, I would rather them realize that I would be in the foxhole with them rather than telling them to run into the battle or, or, or into a game and not knowing that I care about their, their, their psyche really which is most important to me is making – when you got players that are happy and love what they're doing and they love coming to work every day, then then you're doing a good job as a manager.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Rick, last question I will ask you just because I've been wanting to get everyone's opinion on this. So when games do return, whenever they do, um, I know some people who – I I consider them, you know, more purists. They don't want to play unless there's fans there because it's the whole atmosphere. It's, you know, the fans are part of the game just as much as the team. And then I've heard on the other side, you know, we need to get, for morale around the world, we need to see games. We need normalcy to come back. You know, we see the Bundesliga is coming back this right. you know, this weekend. What is your feeling on that? Would you like to play regardless of fans just to be back? Or do you want to, I mean, obviously you want the fans there, but.
1: Yeah. Uh, I thought about this a lot, and the reality is I think once we can see some games on TV and you can see competition, that'll help people around the world in general. I think everyone's going to be watching the Bundesliga this week. We're, I've been joking with the players on who their favorite team in Germany is going to be now. and um, they were. For me, there are stadiums we play in that have probably less than 500 at a game. So it's not going to be new. Uh, it'll be it'll be no fun at Phoenix Rising Stadium. You know, uh, uh, Casino Arizona Field is usually rocking, and uh, that's an awesome atmosphere and a huge advantage for us. Um, you know, but if the if our fans can at least watch our boys play on TV and can enjoy the football that they're playing and kind of get get some good emotions out of it. I think that it's important that, that we are able to offer something. you know and uh, I've told our ownership whatever they needed from me and, and the team will be prepared. We'll be ready. And our players got together the other day and they said that you know everyone there will probably be an asterisk next to whatever team wins this thing. so it might as well be next to Phoenix Rising and um, uh, I think the guys they just want to play, they just want to compete. Um, they love the sport. None of these guys are making millions of dollars. And so being able to play for the fans is is awesome. But I don't think – I think they just want to play football. And I know I, as a coach, I miss seeing them play. Um, And, yes, you're 100%. We all would prefer to have the fans. But at this point right now, I think anything would be a good step forward. Um, And I'm sure at some point – You know, uh, when science and and the medical field tells us that it's all, it's good. We'll, we'll have our six or 7,000 people at Casino Arizona field again and going crazy and lighting the smoke and watching the boys score some goals. So, um, so my, my answer to your question is, I think it's important that we get playing, whether it's with no fans or with fans. And, And I understand there's all sort of consequences either way, um, but I'll do whatever our ownership wants and whatever they need. And, and they've been the most supportive group I've ever been around. So we're, we're prepared to to do what is necessary.
0: Yeah. We're, uh, we're all getting that, that sports itch, trying to scratch it somewhere okay. possible. Um possible. Especially, especially, uh you guys. So Rick, thank you for your time. I'll let you go. Um, awesome. Thank you again. And um, good luck the rest of the season. I'll speak with you. Thanks, bud. Nice to with you. Thanks Rick.
1: Take care. We'll see
0: you, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so that was Phoenix Rising Manager Rick Schantz, and now we are going to bring on Ryan Madden, VP of USL Communications and Marketing. So obviously we are, you know, some teams are one match in. I believe we have two teams that are two matches into the whole season, and then, you know, we kind of had to go on pause. Um, uh, Do you think that we're going to see matches played in 2020? Um, If so, do you think we'll have fans?
2: I'm confident as things stand today that we'll play in 2020, but, um, you know, it it changes with every passing day. The reality is that as things sit today, we can reschedule all affected matches in theory, but that is getting uh, to become a harder and harder proposition. We're modeling out. Numerous return to play scenarios with varying start dates between between now and in late summer. Um, and w- ultimately, the next decision that, that we face, I think, collectively as a league is is we're getting closer to that threshold, Jake, where a traditional competitive format might no longer be feasible and we'll have to have or explore at least um, some form of an altered competition, whether that's um, takes the shape of a tournament or regionalized play or potentially even some other creative solutions. Those are becoming more likely as time goes. We're not there yet. Like I said, we can we can still um, theoretically reschedule all effective matches as things stand today, but it is getting harder with every passing the day with, with every passing day. And, and we're doing the work to to see what, um, from a practical application standpoint, what those altered competition structures um could could look like the, to the second point of your question about whether or not we play in front of fans look it's an it's a no-brainer for us that that we want to compete in front of all of our supporters you know i think about a community like like phoenix you know phoenix is is ferocious atmosphere it's tribal the place is absolutely buzzing um and i think it would i think people would would be a little um would you know, I don't know how people would w- would respond to the idea of, of closed door or, or limited capacity because, in a lot of ways, our cl- our league is synonymous with with our supporters and and the fan and the fan experience. Um, also, our clubs are largely dependent on match day revenue generation. Um, a, a large, you know, if you think about the revenue that a club generates in terms of, of a pie, a, 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 a very very large part of that pie, you know, you know a majority. Part of that pie is the revenue generated from ticket sales, from parking, from concessions, from the in-stadium experience, um, and that is a bit unique to our league because we're not the NFL, or the NBA, who has uh, multi-billion-dollar media rights deals who can who can help carry the league during a time like this and, and make playing behind closed doors or without fans um, more economically viable. We're not we're not really in that in that position, but. There may be some middle ground, whether it's limited capacity venues, um, Opening it up, maybe not the full capacity, but but restricting capacity, still allowing people in, but restricting capacity to um, to an extent that maybe you can maintain some form of, of social distancing. So we need to we need to keep doing the work. We need to keep exploring it. It's the question that everyone asks, and that we do not yet have the clarity um, to make it a, an entirely fulfilling response. But hopefully, that's a just a little bit of an insight into into where things stand um,
0: today. Gotcha, and obviously. You can't go to Michigan Service just because nothing's really been decided. Right. But theoretically, can we see a season that goes past the normal November? You know, are we talking about a season that's going to be playing during months that we're not used to seeing USL be played? I don't I don't have uh, an answer to that necessarily, Jake. Everything's on the table. It's a possibility.
2: Gotcha. I, I wouldn't – I one, the one thing I wouldn't do is I wouldn't sit here during this with you and, and rule it out um, because we don't know yet – which competitive format we're going to adopt. Um, the only, you know, maybe other bit of insight that might be interesting on this process is, you know, whatever whatever decision we come to on competitive formatting or on a return to play, it's not going to be taken autonomously by USLHQ or by the league office. Ultimately, this is going to be something that's voted on by the clubs. Um, and collectively, we're going to have to come together as a, as a group of 35 championship teams and, and 12 League One teams. And we're going to have to make decisions, um, you know, d- potentially difficult decisions about, uh, what, what the, the future of, 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 competitive action in 2020, um, looks like. But if, um, you know, if there's one thing that, that I feel that I feel really confident about and that, and that is, um, is a silver lining in all of this is, that that sense of collective um, having to come together and, and make these decisions and think about things not just in a, in a club by club or community by community basis, but to have to come together and say, okay, we have to. As a ecosystem, make decisions that are in our collective best interest have brought us as a league closer together than we've ever been. It, it certainly in my time at USL, and I think in in executives here at USL HQ who have been here much longer than I. I don't think anyone's ever seen this type of unity amongst the group or, or sense of togetherness. And I, maybe that sounds a little cliche, but it's it's the truth. If there's if there's a silver lining in this, um, it's that we uh, we're closer together today. I think as a is a USL community than we've than we've ever been.
0: Without naming any markets specifically, do you fear that there are maybe some lead one sides that financially won't survive, potentially?
2: I don't have any reason to believe that's that's the case today. Sounds um, good then. Look, okay. the, the the reality is um, our teams are 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 largely match day um, dependent in terms of re- revenue generation standpoint, but. Look, we have owners who who aren't just in it for the economics, right? We have owners that are that are trying to build community-based clubs. And whether it's examples, you know, you're talking about League 1, you know, you think about Gary Green in Omaha who donated his jersey sponsorships to two local health institutions as opposed to selling them and commercializing them right he gave them away to hospitals mm-hmm. um to help buying that club closer to the community that if you're in omaha like in you and you ever had questions like the one you're asking i think that's a pretty good sign that the future is bright there right like they're that that's an ownership group that's in it for the right reasons. you think about what they're doing in madison every day right you follow them on social media um you know and in, in greenville and in statesboro and then and then the, the, you know a lot of mls2 teams who, who don't face that that sense of existential crisis, I think that you're referencing. Um, yeah. So, so I'm I'm really bullish about about the future of those clubs. I, I I think they're they're in it for the long haul, and I think they also see um, the expansion coming down the pipe, and the fact that this league's going to go from 12 to maybe 17 before the end of the year, 17 to into the 20s, and who knows where it ends up by the time the 2026 World Cup rolls around. The future of League One is where is where is the largest growth sector. Of, of the broader USL ecosystem at the moment, so no, I'm 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 very confident in, in where things stand today and where they're where they're heading.
0: Okay, wow, that uh, definitely answers that question one side. Um, obviously, th- this whole thing is gonna have a major impact on how we do things forever going forward. What permanent changes do you foresee? Not just championship or league one but just across the usl what permanent changes do you think we'll see from this it's
2: a really it's a really interesting question i mean um you know you you think about you know there's two types of changes right so there's there's the permanent and the short term and the short term are going to be the the competitive formatting and and some of the the things that are going to be unique to this year that you'll probably Um, never see again. It's a one-off and maybe there's some degree of excitement in that. Um, uh, But the, the, the long-term is going to be in my opinion, and and you might expect this from interviewing the USL communications guy, but um, what I think is going to, what I think ultimately is going to come out of this is our clubs. Phoenix rising is a good example. I think they're going to be have closer ties to the community in the wake of this than, than they did coming in. Um, and I don't. I don't think the econo- I don't think there's going to be long-term um, economic damage. And I don't think there's going to be long-term um, institutional or, or infrastructure damage to our league based off of this. I think. I think the one thing that we're going to take out of this is the fact that our clubs are more closely associated with the community that they represent than they were coming in, and that's kind of a that's a cool kind of beautiful thing. You know. Um, in Statesboro, like, if you live in Statesboro, Georgia, for example, and and you're supporting Tormenta FC, and and maybe you weren't that interested in, in soccer, but you knew you had a professional team, but then you're reading in your local newspapers that you have soccer players and your professional soccer players in your community who are taking sewing lessons and so that they can make mass and deliver them to, to local hospitals. Or if you see what New Mexico United is doing to, to help replenish blood banks in their community, or if you see what they're doing in Omaha to give away Jersey sponsorships or um, you know, there's, there's, there's hundreds of these examples throughout our league. And so my hope is that we talk a lot about um, community clubs and the value of of our clubs engaging with the communities around them and that intersection between club and community and hopefully um that that is is stronger and 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 more um fulfilling and and more real than um ever before coming out of this crisis that's my hope
0: well, i was talking to rick earlier this week and jordan schweitzer when he signed for phoenix before he even came to speak to bobby he went to phoenix children's hospital yeah. like and that just speaks to the kind of character that and Bobby and I have had these conversations about how, you know, character first. And while that may be a cliche, like you can see as you're attesting to, you know, I don't know if you've seen on social media, but rising players are calling fans and kind of doing check-ins on Fantastic. how are you doing kind of thing. And,
2: yeah. Look, so I think so- to that point, Jake, I think, look, I think – um clubs across the world market themselves as as community assets and community organizations right we see this everywhere but it maybe it's in times of crisis where you have the opportunity to prove that it's it's not just a talking point that it's not just something that you say right this is this is real you do care and you put your time and your energy and your resources, um, including financial behind making sure that you're supporting the community and helping them heal as best you can. And look, if, if, if any, if any community feels more closely associated to their professional soccer club, because they know that their clubs are giving back and don't just feel that by virtue of their mere existence, do they have some divine right to be supported, but they're actually putting the time and the effort and the energy into making sure that that's that emotional investment is both ways. Um, that's a, really, that's a really special thing. And, that's, that's, and if you do that longitudinally over a long enough period of time, that's how you build generational success on the community level. And that's how you get to the point where, you know, you know one day you're, you're taking your son to a game and his son, and then he grows up and is taking his son to a game. And, and there becomes this lineage and this history and this culture of, of community-based um, action that's a, that's a special thing, man. And and, and you can't minimize it. You can't diminish it. It's, it's, it's real.
0: A little bit of a a transition. I I, I want to talk a little bit about the the USLPA. Yep. Um, So from my understanding within the last two years, the USLPA has been recognized by USL as the representation for both championship and league one, but a CBA doesn't necessarily exist the way it would in, you know, MLB or uh, the NBA, NFL, what have you. Sure. Um, so obviously with the reports coming out about the proposal to basically dock pay, for lack of a better term, um, do you foresee that being an issue? Not that's not necessarily an issue, but kind of – is this kind of like the start of USL? will have a collective bargaining agreement going forward with the Players Association or – you know, we see with MLB right now, that's kind of where they're talking about the pro rate and now they're getting into the money aspect of it. Do you foresee money being an issue with getting back on the field or is it players? They just want to play soccer again.
2: I can't speak to the, to the, the compensation adjustment piece of that. Um, okay. because it's, um, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's disappointing and a bit of a shame that, that, that all leaked and, and became became public because really those those conversations are are more appropriately had um, behind closed doors. Um, but at the same time, look, going back to the the voluntary recognition of the USLPA, there was a, a, a collective understanding that um, the league was reaching a maturity level that we needed. We were at a point now where we needed to have. A collective bargaining agreement. We needed to have, to have a, a CBA in this space. And those aren't that's not an easy thing to achieve. And it takes a long period of time. And even in some ways the legal mechanism itself is inherently built to be a bit adversarial. But but the the the, the goal and the core objectives for, for us I think are the same as USLPA. We wanna we want to work towards having a CBA. We look forward to it and we want to provide Um, a quality of, of, of in a workplace environment that, that our players enjoy and that we all collectively feel good about. Um, You know, there, there's nothing, I don't have any new public updates on, on the CBA front. And and again, I I can't, I can't speak directly to the comp, the request for compensation adjustment other than, than what's already out there. Um, I can confirm that the details of the previous reporting, Um, but no, look, it's um, we all we're in it, I think, for the same reasons, and and um, it it might it might take a little while to get there, but um, but I, I think the relationship is good, and I think we're we're making progress.
0: So yesterday it uh, came out recording this on Thursday. On Wednesday it came out that uh, Phoenix Rising has been named a founder of MLS Elite Player Development Program. Um, yes yeah. your thoughts on that? Super
2: very, very supportive. Great. You know, um, look, I, I, I think, I think the absolute world of, of Bobby and, um, Steve Cook, Cookie, um, was uh, the interim head coach at the Colorado Rapids while I Did was you, there. Were you
0: there? Yeah, okay. How yeah, I now? was
2: there. So we, um, I know him. I know him very, very well. We've had we've had many a post game beer together. Um, <laughs> so I uh, look, I, I think, I, I just think the absolute world of those guys and um, and Rick as well. And so they they know what they're doing in this space. And, and so when you know when I saw that they were part of this um, elite player development platform it's great in in our model that we recently unveiled the US, usl academy league it's really built fundamentally with the intent to to allow clubs the kind of flexibility that's needed to participate in other competitions we're not trying to be um we're not trying to say you you know come come be a part of the usl academy league and and, and, and that's it that's a it's a one-stop shop one-stop shop for for player development that's that's not that's probably not the best pathway to success, right? Like we need, we need to create an environment that our clubs can, can come in and participate and help um, provide the next, the next, the, the next generation of, of future professional soccer talent, maybe even professional, you know, U.S. men's national team talent. Um, and I think some of those guys are going to come from, from USL communities, but um, we're very, very pleased for Phoenix. It's great. It's good news. They still have, have indicated to us that they're planning to participate in the Academy League, so they'll they'll play in both the the MLS setup and ours as well. And um and, and we wish them the best. Look, I hope they go in and and absolutely uh, crush. You know, they should if they're gonna if they're gonna play, they should win the damn thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, that uh, that definitely be interesting. Speaking of playing with other MLS teams, um, if you can. Uh, reports that a possibility that a USL team could one day play in the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah. Thoughts, what you can tell me about that.
2: Uh, Look, it's an ambition of ours. Um, We have – we're not a traditional second division, and I know know you know Mm -hmm. these things, but we have – look, we have 47 professional communities around the country. Our footprint is huge. We have a billion dollars – already invested or proposed um, for stadium investments across the country. No one's building more soccer specific stadiums than USL is. We, um, we have a, a, a media rights deal with ESPN that makes us the largest provider of professional soccer, ESPN plus of any league in the world. Um, and we had, you know, we have dozens of players that, that go off and participate for their senior um, international teams in, in CONCACAF competition. I think we had, you know, 26 players at the most recent gold cup. So um USL you know isn't just the best second division in CONCACAF you could you could make a strong case that it's the third biggest league in CONCACAF regardless of division so the idea that USL wants or is pursuing or has ambition um for greater representation in in the qualifying events that lead to the CONCACAF Champions League I don't uh, the headline is is a bit sensational maybe but I don't think if you if you if you really look at it and you do the calculus that it's um that it's outside the realm of reason. So we've had conversations with CONCACAF and um, as things stand today. Only, only top divisions are are, are eligible to play, but um, they they've shown a willingness to, to at least continue those conversations. And um, they've even hinted um, publicly that they may be interested in expanding the, the CONCACAF champions league down the road. So we'll see what happens.
0: I think because we got a little, we got a crazy taste of it, honestly in the beginning. And then we, you know, everything got shut down. And I think maybe people are just remembering how crazy that was. And yeah. especially here to see, to see that any games of that magnitude being played here would be amazing. Um, yeah. But I also,
2: you know, to that point, like Phoenix is a perfect example of a place that, that would, I think, make this the CONCACAF Champions League competition so much more compelling in North America because it has the perfect type of atmosphere for it. You know, you come in and you bring, you bring strong CONCACAF, uh, competition to 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 Phoenix, and you put them in that in that raucous environment. It's a little bit like, um, you know, college basketball in the sense of what's the what's the the venue that everyone talks about in college basketball. It's it's um, Cameron Indoor, right? It Duke because it's it's tight and the confines are tight and the fans sit right over you. And and I that I think about that sometimes when I think about when I think about Phoenix. And I think if you if you brought a Phoenix into a, a, a tournament like the CONCACAF Champions League, I think it would open a lot of people's eyes um, to what's actually occurring here in the USL Championship. I think it would shock a lot of people. And I'd, I don't think a lot of teams would um, would favor their chances of coming in and getting a result there either.
0: All right. Well, I'll ask you this last question just because it's a fun one. We got the Bundesliga returning this weekend. Yeah. Um, personally, Dortmund has always been my Bundesliga team. They got <laughs> their Derby. Um, mm-hmm. So who do you have, Dortmund or Schalke or a draw?
2: I got Dortmund, and I got um, I got Gio um, bagging a bagging a hat trick. Go go okay. USA! Yeah. Okay. A hat yeah.
0: trick. Whoa. Yeah.
2: Let's go. Okay. It, it, he's on. He's been on a, a recent national media tour. He had the story in the Athletic, ESPN. I think he was um, he was on at Fox Indoor Soccer with Rob Stone. He's got to be confidence has to be at an all time high at the morning, at the moment. I think he comes on as a sub, and I think he bangs in a hat trick. <laughs> hat
0: trick. Okay. So then Let's Holland, is Holland, not getting on the sheet then. No, uh, not, him?
2: It, uh, maybe only if he gets an assist from geo though, it's the geo show. Okay. Gio.
0: Okay. I'll, uh, yeah. we'll see. I'll hold you yeah. to it. All <laughs> right. Well, uh, thank you very much for your time, Ryan. Thanks for joining me. Um, yeah. Thanks an, again. Thanks an, for your time. Um, yeah, look, you. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks again. You as well. All right, man. Cheers. See you, bud. See ya. And that's going to do it for this episode of the uprising podcast for more things, Phoenix rising, head over to ArizonaSports.com. Or our Arizona Sports app. You can also follow me on Twitter at jwa1994. Until next time, ci vediamo la dopo. Ciao.